Coastal. Great to worship with you, man. Haven't we had a great morning of worship? And uh, nobody thinks that. It was a good morning, all right? And uh, do me a favor, get your Bible out. Turn with me to John 17. That's where I'm going to kind of land this morning. I'm going to kind of get there in a circular fashion. Uh, but that's where we're going to land. So if you have a Bible, turn me to John chapter 17, picking up in verse 9. If you don't have a Bible, uh, there's probably one in a chair in front of you. If you don't own a Bible, do me a favor, take that one with you. We would love for you to have a copy uh, of the Word of God, especially if you'll read it on a regular basis. Man, it'll, it'll change your life. We would love for you, that to be our gift to you. And to get your note sheet out, you just kind of remember more of the things you write down. So I would encourage you to take some notes. And, uh, and so while you're kind of getting all that together, I want to take this little bit of time here this morning and just honor our moms. Uh, you know, as we were singing the first song this morning about the many good gifts that God has given us, uh, one of them is God ordained the family, uh, the, and he made it. It was his idea, and uh, it is the way that we do discipleship. It is where love is. There's all so many things taught in the family, Right. And, uh, and so in our culture, we set aside this day to honor moms, and I think that's a good thing. So if you are a mom, would you do us a favor and stand, and stay standing, because I'm going to pray over you, all right? So moms, come on, stand up. Yep, we love you. Thank you for serving in our homes. And, uh, you know, we, it's... It, I guess I shouldn't be surprised. I continue to get surprised at the direction that the broader culture is going. Uh, but it isn't, I guess, shouldn't be a surprise that something that God made, the culture would now want to undermine, right? And they don't no longer even want to call moms moms anymore. I don't know. We've just gone sideways. But at Coastal, uh, we believe God ordained the family. And uh, we believe it was God's decision. And moms are an incredible gift of the Lord to the family, and, uh, and in your unique gifting and the way that you've served your family. Thank you so much. And, uh, and so we just want to pray. I want to pray a prayer blessing over you this morning. Do you mind if I do that? And let's bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, for all the women standing here this morning, uh, thank you so much, Lord, that uh, they, first of all, they came to church this morning because they love you and they want to worship you, God, and they are here uh, worshiping and bringing the truth of the gospel and their faith in Jesus home, God, and knitting that and weaving that and leavening that into their home. And so, God, thank you for these women that are standing here today. And I, I pray your blessing upon them, God, and I pray a blessing upon their children as I know that they have invested the gospel and are investing the gospel of Jesus right now. I God, I pray for the one in the room today who, um, today's a tough day. They lost their mom recently, maybe even this year, or maybe recently, God. And so today is even mingled with some grief, God. I pray that you would be the God of all comforts to them and, and nurture and shepherd their heart today, God, as they grieve. I pray for the mom in this room that maybe had to bury their child, God, and that is way out of order, and they're trying to figure that out, and yet they're still here today worshiping you, uh, even in their challenges, God. I, I thank you so much that they're here to worship you, and I pray that you would comfort them, God. I, I pray for the one in the room that um, is trying to get pregnant, and it's not happening for them, God, and they're pleading for you to open the womb. I pray that you might be gracious, and God, but this time next year, they'll be standing with us and saying, man, we're here to celebrate the goodness of the Lord and opening the womb. And 
Um, Father, I pray for the one in the room that maybe doesn't have a great relationship with their mom. I pray that the gospel would heal that, God, and there would be forgiveness and, and reconciliation, Lord, that uh, they could be reconciled with their mom. And, uh, and then, Lord, I pray for the one in this room who is an empty nester as a mom. And, God, now you've given her the opportunity to invest in other children and grandchildren and to pray, God, and to pray that you will protect their children. I pray for the mom in this room that's dealing with teenagers, Lord, where the, these children move to adulthood, and it's kind of this passing of the baton, God, and there's so much that the world is throwing at our teenagers, God, and I just pray for that mom that you give her wisdom in her words and in her direction and in her decision-making, and God, I pray for the one that's got young children and infants, God, and they're not getting much sleep, and, uh, and Lord, they're kind of neck deep in it, and, and Lord, I pray that you would give them strength and perseverance, and in those moments, God, that they could just continue to invest the love of God and the gospel of Jesus in their homes, and and Lord, we are here to honor and to worship you for the family. We know you knitted it together. You ordained it, God. And so I thank you for these women. I pray your blessing upon their homes. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right. Give these ladies a round of applause. Thank you. You may be seated. Um, ladies, on the way out today, I think we have a flower for you to say thank you for coming. And if you're a husband or a child in here, and this is the first gift that your wife or your mom is getting, you owe Coastal a big attaboy, okay? So you can come talk to me afterwards. I'll tell you how you can make it up to us, okay? So uh, anyway, moms, we love you. Thank you very much. I want to jump in this morning, all right? I, so John 17, uh, we're finishing a series this morning called What in the World? What is Jesus Doing Now, right? So a couple weeks ago, we celebrated the resurrection and so, you know, what is Jesus doing presently? And I think today is really going to encourage you. I hope it does. It encourages me. And uh, so before I jump into the text, uh, I want to be really clear. At Coastal, we use a, a, a language that I want you to understand. We use the word gospel a lot. And the word gospel means good news, Okay. And so this sermon doesn't lend itself to me unpacking the gospel, but I love to share the gospel. I, even as a longtime Christian, the idea of the gospel humbles me and keeps me centered on Christ. And, and if you're here this morning and you don't yet know Christ, we want you to know what is the good news of God. So to get the good news, you've got to start with the bad news. The bad news is uh, you and I are sinners, right? We do not live life perfectly. And if you think that you're not a sinner and you think that you're perfect, you need to ask your mom today, okay? She will set you straight uh, that you are not perfect. And, and it's kind of funny, right? Because we kind of know that we're not perfect. But theologically speaking, our God, the God of the Bible, is holy. He's without sin, and his character consumes sin. And so as sinners, that leaves us in a really rough, precarious place before God Almighty. And so what we actually deserve is the wrath of God. But God is also a gracious God and a merciful God and a loving God. And so what did he do? He gave us his very best gift, his one and only son, Jesus. And Jesus lived a perfect life. He, and that's very essential to our salvation. He lived without sin. He died a substitutionary death on the cross. While on the cross, he was bearing God's wrath for your sin and for my sin and for my shame and my guilt and your shame and your guilt. Jesus bore that for you on the cross. Then they laid his lifeless body in a grave. 
And three days later, he overcame the consequence of sin, which is death, by rising again. And the Bible says when we turn from our sin, repent of our sin, and believe in Jesus, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is now in us, conforming us to be more like Jesus and giving us the hope that one day we too will rise from the grave. And therefore, death and grave does not have final say over those who believe in Jesus, but Jesus has final say. That is the good news, and we want you to know that this morning. Amen? And so that kind of is like Good Friday, Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday, which then leads itself to the question, okay, that was 2,000 years ago that Jesus did all that. What is Jesus doing now? You know, like right now, like is he kind of like lazily, you know, in heaven with some drink with an umbrella in it, kind of waiting for you to get home kind of thing? Like what is Jesus doing right now? And so, you know, week one we, of the series, we kind of looked at, at Revelation that this risen Jesus is like awesome, like terrifyingly awesome. And we need to humble ourselves in his presence. Last week, we looked at, you know, what Jesus, he went to prepare a place for us on the cross and how he is in the process. He is now the way, the truth, and the life to get to the Father. And so he's presenting that gospel to us now. And so, by the way, didn't Pastor Colin do an incredible job last week? Just amazing. We're just so good. Yeah, you can clap for him. He's not in here. They clapped for him last service when he was in here. And, uh, but man, just we're so blessed at Coastal. And now this week, okay, John 17, I want to look at point number one. What is Jesus doing right now, today, as we speak? Okay, so I stumbled across a verse, and I've read it many, many times, but it kind of jumped off the page at me a couple years ago in Romans chapter 5, where the Bible teaches that Jesus, letter A here, is saving us more by his life than his death. Now, that may, you really should kind of step back and think about that for a minute. Like, we talk about the cross of Christ all the time, the death of Christ taking away our sin, which is all true. But in Romans chapter 5, it's a little bit shocking when the Apostle Paul says this. He says, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. So by the death of Christ, we are made in right relationship with God, okay? Much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. I don't know if you ever thought about that. Like, oh, the resurrection of Christ is actually in some ways much more saving us and giving us life. So what does that mean? Well, here's what we have to understand. The second thing I want you to see out of Romans, I told you I'm kind of getting circular back to John 17. I'll get there in a second. Jesus currently is seated at the right hand of the Father, which means he's, he's in the holy presence of God the Father right now, okay? And so in Romans chapter 8, verse 33 and 34, the Apostle Paul writes this. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Now, let me stop here before. The doctrine of election is that before time began, God the Father set his affections on who he was going to save, and by the power of the Spirit, save them, okay? And so now, Paul is saying that in the presence of God, since God demands holiness, since God's character is holy, and without sin, how is it that God can still let sinners into his presence, okay? So, Sean Brown has a bunch of particular sins 
that if Satan, the evil one, wanted to enter God's presence and say, how can Sean be saved from the penalty of his sin? He is an active sinner, okay? And begin to list Sean Brown's active sins or your active sins. They would be able to say, how, oh God, can you being holy and just and perfect allow Sean Brown to be into your presence, right? And so, and he, and that would be a fair and a right accusation. In fact, if you come to Coastal for any length of time, you hear me say this all the time. The demand of heaven is not that we're good. The demand of heaven is that we're, we're perfect. And since you're not perfect and I'm not perfect, the accusation could be made. How are you allowed to be in God's presence? All right. And so Paul goes on to say, he says, so who shall bring a charge against God's elect, which would seem like a reasonable charge. It is God who justifies, okay? So let me stop here for a minute, all right? Justification is a legal declaration where God, by grace through faith, has declared us to be righteous. How is it that God can do that, okay? This is where the life of Christ here on earth is so essential to your salvation, Christ lived a perfect life. He kept the law. He never sinned. He never had a wayward thought. He never gossiped. He was never not generous. I mean, I could just go on and on and on, all the things. He never sinned by commission, and he never sinned by omission, right? You know what that is? Like, you know, like, you could say, well, why don't I just sit in my house all day, every day? Then I wouldn't sin. You would still be sinning by omission. There are things that you should be doing, right? Jesus never sinned in any way, and when he died on the cross, he's a substitutionary death, and when we repent of our sin and believe in Jesus, his perfect works of righteousness are gifted to your spiritual bank account. So let's imagine you have the spiritual bank account. You're bankrupt before God, but God in his grace gifts your bank account the perfect works of Christ by grace through faith. And so now we have been declared to be righteous in the presence of God because that is how God chose to save us in his son Jesus. Everybody with me on that? All right. So you didn't know I'd get so much out of two verses. Here we go. All right. How shall he br we bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is it to condemn? There's no one that can condemn us because God has said so. Christ Jesus is the one that died, and more than that, who was raised, and what is he doing now? He is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us, okay? So this brings us to John 17. What is Jesus doing right now? He is in the presence of God, and you want to hear something amazing? He is praying for you. Cool, huh? I mean, really cool. And so he's in the presence of God. Now, what is it that he's praying? Now, I'm going to be honest. We don't really know exactly. But I want to suggest to you that John 17 is where Jesus, just before he goes to the cross, huddles up his disciples and he preaches kind of his last sermon. And then he prays this prayer over his disciples. It's often called the high priestly prayer of Christ. And I think it's an insight into what Jesus is praying over you right now. So point number two, here we go. That was all introduction. All right, ready? Here we go. What is Jesus praying now? Letter A. He is praying you home to eternity. 
He's praying you home to eternity. John 17, verse 9. Listen to what Jesus says here. I am praying for them. It's a pretty shocking statement, what he says next, by the way. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours and all yours are mine. I am glorified in them. So he says, I am praying for the believers. If you're here this morning and you're a follower of Jesus Christ, in the high priestly prayer of Christ in John 17, Jesus was praying for you. What is Jesus right now doing in the presence of God? I believe that he's praying for you. John 11. And I am no longer in the world. So Jesus says, I'm not going to be here much longer. But they are in the world. And I am coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name. He's praying you home. Which you have given me that they may be one even as we are one. Several years ago, I... Um, my grandmother passed. She went home to be with the Lord. She was a first-generation Christian. She got saved later in life. It's a little bit of my spiritual heritage, at least from one side of my family. And um, she was a first-generation Christian. She, my uncle and my dad were both, in some regards, raised at first in a non-Christian home. She got saved later in life, became a father of Jesus, and then they were raised in Christ. And my uncle and my dad were both first-generation godly men Christians, and, uh, and my grandmom was a prayer warrior. Every time I would call her, she would let me know she's praying for me. So by the way, moms, if you're an empty nester, I mean, you know, or you're a grandmom, like what an incredible thing to be, and I know all moms are praying for your kids. I mean, what an amazing thing to be praying for your kids. My wife, her journals and uh, she has in her nightstand like stacks of prayer journals that she prays every morning. Some of you in this room are in that prayer journal, I guarantee you. And, uh, and she prays and she writes them out to the Lord. I mean, what a privilege as a mom to be praying. But my grandma would pray for me. And, and later in her life, she got dementia, which, you know, if you have a loved one has dementia, how horrible it is. And, and, uh, but like, so kind of tongue in cheek, there was a bright side to my grandma having dementia because she loved Jesus uh, she always loved that she had a grandson that was a pastor, and as her mind began to go, every time I would call her, my grandfather, I would hear this com this dialogue on the phone, like, you know, I'd call my pops, and pops said, let me go get Nan, and put Nan on the phone, and then she wouldn't know who I was. He'd say, it's Sean. Who? And then he'd go, well, it's Sean, you know, your, your grandson in Virginia, he's a pastor. And she'd be like, oh! wow, like new every morning kind of thing, you know, like new to her. And but, but when she went on to be with the Lord, like I knew that I had lost someone that was praying for me. And, and like that meant so much. And by praying for me, guess what? She was praying for you and for this church. And, and listen, when someone comes up to me, and you got, many of you do this, and you say, hey, I just want you to know, Pastor Sean, like I'm praying for you. Like, man, like, wow. Or I'll get texts from you. I just want you to know the Lord laid you in my heart, and I'm, and I'm, and I'm praying for you. And, and, and the, the idea that, that you would take my name and my family and my concerns into the presence of the creator God of the universe and lift me up into God's presence, it's like, Wow, right? 
Have you ever said this? I've said this. I guess, I guess all we can do now is pray. Like, what a silly thing to say, right? Like, well, I guess we're at wit's end. You know, all we can do now is go before the God of the universe and ask for his help. You know, like, what else is there to do? I mean, it's incredible to me. I mean, I'm, and the older I get, and you old people know this, like, the older I get, the, the more I see God answer prayer, and it just wows me, and it makes me go, man, I'm not praying enough. Anybody else mind blown that people are praying for you? Young people, if you got a praying mom, like, what a gift you have. You ready for me to blow your mind even more? Jesus, the Son of God, is in the presence of God praying for you. Isn't that cool? Like, he's literally, as he's saying, I'm about to go to the Father, and Father, I want you to take care of them, and I want you to protect them. He actually is literally praying that you will persevere in the faith. You ever wonder if, like, you see someone going through a really hard time, you see a young person get cancer, and you wonder, man, I don't, if I had cancer, or if my kids don't follow Jesus, I wonder if I would still keep the faith. You ever wonder that? Anybody ever wonder that besides me? Like, well, I, just me. Only the pastor wonders if we'll keep the faith all the way to the end. <laughs> to, now some of you are like, oh, you, you start with it, you do that too? Okay, so yeah, I de definitely wonder. Like, I wonder. I got really good news for you. Jesus is in the presence of God praying that you keep the faith all the way till the end. Isn't that cool? And I call it future grace. You don't get the grace to go through the trial until you get to the trial. And then once you get to the trial, the grace of God and the prayers of Jesus show up in this time and space. And you will keep the faith all the way till the end. Isn't that great news? And you will honor the Lord in your journey because Jesus is praying for you. And he's praying that you'll persevere in the faith, and he's praying that we'll be one. He actually says, God, I want them to be one as you and I are one. He's talking about how the church works together to pull their time, talent, and treasure, the further the kingdom and the further the gospel. Jesus is praying you all the way till your faith becomes sight. He's praying you home. Great news, right? Letter B. Jesus is praying for your protection. Jesus is praying for your protection. He doesn't take us out of the world. He leaves us in the world, and he's praying for your protection. He says this. He says, I've given them your word. Ready for some good news? And the world has hated them because they are not of the world. Just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world. Okay, let's stop here for a minute. How many of you have gone through a hard time, maybe even this week, in the midst of the hard time, you're like, God, why don't you just take me home? Just take me to glory. And I'm not talking about being suicidal, but like, God, just, like, just do it. And have you prayed that? Yeah, me too. Like, God, I, like, this is really hard. Jesus said, I don't want you to take them out of the world. I want you to protect them, Right? Do not take them, verse 15, take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. So Jesus prays protection around you, around two things. Number one, he prays that God would protect you from the world. 
Now, what is the world, okay? So the world is, is the philosophies and worldviews that are different from the Scripture, okay? And so we learned last week, like Jesus said in John 14, I am the way, I am the what? I'm the truth. Like, if you want to know truth, it's, G- it's following Jesus and his word, okay? That is truth. And so we're living in a culture that's splintering over this idea of truth, right? There's your truth and my truth, you know, when you... Like, as Christians, we cannot and shouldn't be saying, hey, follow your truth, right? Because what happens when your truth is different than someone else's truth, which is different than the Word of God's truth? Like, truth is not, like, to each his own. Truth is an entity unto its own. And because we're not all-knowing and because we're sinners and a lot of reasons, we need outside resources to give us the truth, and the truth is God's Word. And so what's happening is... The culture is splintering away from the truth of God's word, and God's made it really, really clear. When you become a Christian, let's call the glasses, like before Christ, like I, right now I can hardly see y'all, y'all are fuzzy, but I put glasses on, suddenly I see clearly, right? And so when you become a Christian, you take on a whole different worldview, and you put on the glasses of the truth of God's word, and suddenly you're like, man, I have to believe this because it's God's word, and it's so much different than the rest of the world, and we have to lovingly stand on the truth, but we can't bend from the truth, and therefore sometimes the world's like, man, I just, you're out there. And listen, it's, it's beginning to, in American culture, it's beginning to where I think it's going to start costing us something. Ready? We had a conversation this week, internally, of like, man, should uh, should we beef up security around Coastal this week because we're pro-life? Listen, the Bible teaches that life begins at conception. And it life is precious. And no man gets to end it. Whether it's a day or a week or a month or six months or nine months or 21 months or however many months, like... It, we, it's our job to do all that we can to protect life, even in the womb. And so it's not that we want to get out and be like rebellious and stir up trouble in the community. We're just reading God's word and we're like, man, this is what God has told us. We have to land here. I had a conversation this week with a member of this church. It's a second grade teacher. She's being asked to read to the kids a book about transgenderism. And she's like, I, I don't know what to do. My soul is convinced, Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, that God assigns gender at birth. And that's the truth. And I can't waver off the truth. And so the world is beginning to pressure us, right? And now some of you are like, man, like, Sean, I'm so, so scared. Like, I'm so nervous. Oh, my goodness. Fretting. Jesus is in the presence of God praying for your protection from the world. Isn't that great news? Have you ever read the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? The government pressured them to worship a false god, and they're like, King, like, we love you, we respect the office, we are not trying to be rebellious, but we can't do that. And the king says, Then I gotta throw you in this furnace. And listen, they said, 
you can do that and our God can rescue us, even if he doesn't, because he might not, he's still God. They throw him in the furnace and what happens? Jesus shows up. Jesus is praying you home and he's praying for your protection from the world. It's our job to know the truth, believe the truth, lovingly present the truth because the truth will set you free. It's God's job to protect us or not all the way till our faith becomes sight. Amen? All right, so he's praying for us from the world. He's praying that God would protect us from the evil one. You know, he says, I'm praying, don't take them out of the world, but that you would keep them from the evil one. I always love Luke chapter 22 where Jesus prays for Peter. And he says, Peter, Satan has... Wants to sift you like wheat, but I've prayed for you that you won't lose your faith. I don't know about you, but I was like, I wish that prayer would be like, I've prayed for you. You're not going to go through a hard time. That's not what it says, right? I'm praying that your faith will endure. Jesus is praying for our protection from the world and from the evil one. Let her see. Jesus is praying that we would be changed by God's word. John 17, 17, Jesus continues to pray, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. The word sanctify means to grow in holiness and righteousness, which is the character of God. So God has given us his word. His word tells us what is true, what is holy, what is righteous. And Jesus is in the presence of God praying that as you hear the word of God, you would be molded more and more into the image of God and be growing holiness and righteousness. We're not just to be hearers of the word, we're to be doers of the word. The truth, Jesus said, John 8, we know the truth and the truth sets us free. And so one of the things at Coastal, what's our vision statement at Coastal? Anybody know? Our vision statement at Coastal is to develop authentic followers of Jesus Christ. We want you to know Jesus. How do we do that? Three very important ways. And these are not willy-nilly. We didn't make these up. We, these, we believe these are New Testament points of discipleship. Connect. That means to connect by being in corporate worship. Why do we want you to be in corporate worship? Not to check the box. Like, God's happy with me. I went to church. and endured another one of Pastor Sean's boring sermons. <laughs> Must be worth something. Right? It's not about that. It... it, it, it Anyway, uh, so yeah, so it's not about that. It's about, I mean, I go to corporate worship and I hear the word of God and the word of God preached sanctifies me and grows me in holiness and in righteousness so that I can be more like the God of the Bible, my creator. And so I hear the word and it sanctifies me. Connect. And the second part of our discipleship process is grow. We want you to be in small group ministries where you're intersecting the word of God with your life, surrounded by other believers that want to be more like Jesus, and you're growing in knowing the word, and therefore you're growing in, in holiness and righteousness. One of the things that we've asked you to do this year, right, is to take the Bible and read it through for a year. And I know many of have gotten a lot of people go, man, I'm really stuck with it. And maybe you haven't. Maybe you started well in the new year, and it's just kind of white life, whatever, got busy. But like, let me just encourage you, like, pick back up. Just start where you are. Be in the Word of God and read it so that we can know the truth. And as we're knowing the truth, Jesus is in the presence of God praying that the Word of God will make you more like God, which is holy and righteous and truth-filled and, and built on truth. Jesus is praying that the word will have its final result 
that you would be more like God. Number, letter D, number four. Jesus is praying for you to accomplish his mission. Jesus is praying for you to accomplish his mission. I, uh, this morning, when we were praying before the service, our, our tech guy, Elijah, Elijah's probably 21 years old, 22 years old. He, he, I didn't know what kids' songs we were singing. And um, he was like, man, they, these songs are really catchy. Like, they were new to him, right? And I was like, and then the first song was, I am a promise, I am a possibility, right? I was like, I sang that in Sunday school, Elijah. Like, what are you talking about? That ain't new. It's a little jingle, right? And so, and so I've got really good news for you. God has a mission for you. You are a promise. You have God-filled possibilities, Right? You are here, and God has an assignment for you, and it's not just an assignment that he's like, hey, good luck, hope all goes well. It's an assignment that he is now in the presence of God praying for you to fulfill the assignment of which he's left you here on earth. Isn't that cool? John 17, 18, just as you sent me into the world, so Jesus praying to the Father, just as you sent me in the world, guess what? I am sending them into the world. They have a mission. They are to be salt and light. They are to fulfill the great commission. They are to get jobs and go to work and provide for their family. They are to raise children in the Lord and pass on the gospel from one generation to the next. They are to find a place in a local church and serve God by serving others to help and lift up and exalt and spread the name and fame of Christ. And Jesus is in the presence of God praying that you will fulfill these endeavors to the glory and fame of God the Father. Isn't that great news? He's praying for your mission. He doesn't just give you the mission and then step back and go, man, I hope it all works out. Oh, he's with you and he's praying you home. Jesus is praying for you. For you and for you and for you and for you to fulfill the mission that he's called you and designed for you to fulfill. Great news, church. All right, final thing is this. I want you to see salvation security. So I want to slide over to, to Hebrews and then kind of bring this sermon full circle and we'll finish this thing up. Salvation security, point number three, is that my anchor holds within the veil. So maybe you're sitting here and you're like, what in the world does that mean, Okay. So let me give it to you, all right? But so before I can give it to you, I've got, there's, this, is, this is language in the book of Hebrews that if you don't have a good understanding of the Old Testament, you won't understand what the Hebraic author is talking about, okay? And then I'm going to bring us all the way back around to Romans chapter 8. So in the Old Testament, God designed for the nation of Israel to begin to teach the children of Israel uh, Ultimately, the gospel, actually. Uh, he designed this thing called the temple, right? And inside the temple was this place where the high priest would go once a year to make sacrifices for the sins of the people. Now, anybody know what this tiny little room at the center of the temple was? It was called the Holy of Holies, right? And there was a thick curtain that separated uh, the high priest from from all the people of Israel. And so once a year, the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies, representing the holy presence of God, that you just don't get to come into the presence willy-nilly any way you want to, but it, it was a very uh, uh, holy and sanctified opportunity that the high priest would do once a year. And in Leviticus chapter 16, 
the high priest is given the list of things that he needed to do before he could go into the holy presence of God and offer uh, uh, the sacrifice of a goat and a bull in, on the mercy seat in the presence of God. So here it is, ready? So on that day, when he would go in the Holy of Holies, the first thing he would do is take a bath, right? He would have to bathe and cleanse himself. And then he had a particular set of clothing that he had to put on. This was a high priestly outfit, and it was considered holy. And at the bottom of the robe of his clothing were bells. And I'll come back to the bells in a minute. And then, before he would go into the Holy of Holies, he would make a personal sacrifice of sin. He actually had two goats one goat he would sacrifice as a covering for his own sin. And he was, it was to remind him that there's no forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood. So he would shed the blood of this goat for his own sin. And then on the second goat, he, he, would, he, he would ceremonially place his hands. And it was picturing laying all the sin of the nation of Israel on this second goat. And they would take the second goat and they would send it out of the camp and send it into the wilderness. And the picture was they were asking God to take their sins far, far away from them, as far as the east is from the west. And so this is where we get the picture of this, what's still in our language today, of the scapegoat, right? And so the scapegoat would take the sin and and go out of the camp. Then, after doing all of that, he would then enter the Holy of Holies in this picture of the direct meeting with God. And he would have his robe on. He'd already sacrificed the goat for his own sin. They'd sent away the scapegoat. And now he's got the blood of the goat and the blood of a bull that he had sacrificed. And he's bringing it into the Holy of Holies. And he's got the bells on his robe. And they would actually put a rope around his ankle because no one else but the high priest was allowed to go into the Holy of Holies because it's a terrifying thing to go into the presence of God. And so as he would go into the presence of God with this blood that was represent the forgiveness of sins for the nation of Israel, if he had done any of that wrong, God would strike him dead for not doing exactly what he needed to do as he entered the Holy of Holies. And so if the bells ever stopped twinkling, and, uh, and the people were like, man, what's going on? I don't hear any sound. They were not to go in to get the high priest. They were to take the rope that was tied around his ankle and drag his corpse out of the Holy of Holies. Happy Mother's Day. And then they, he would take the <laughs> sprinkling of the blood of bulls and goats, and he would put it on the mercy seat, okay, asking the Lord for mercy, for the forgiveness of sin. Then he would come out, he would bathe again, dress in a a new set of clothing. Then he would take the remains of the goat and the bull outside of the camp where it would be burned and finally incinerated. All of this is to remind us that entering the presence of God is serious business. But guess what, church? Now, all of that has been taken, taken care of by Jesus. He shed his blood. He became our scapegoat. He is the perfect high priest that now enters the presence of God on our behalf. And he doesn't just do that once a year. He's there seated at the right hand of God every moment of every day, pleading your cause in the presence of God the Father till the day that your faith becomes sight. And so the book of Hebrews says, my anchor for my soul is now cooked inside the veil of the Holy of Holies that represents the character of God. And if your life, and this is what Hebrews says, go ahead and put that verse back up, all right? 
Here we go. One, two, three. Here we go. Well, Hebrews 6, 19. We have the sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. So in the Holy of Holies is the Savior Jesus who is praying us home, and your soul is secure when you believe in Jesus. Amen? And he's in the presence of God, and he's praying you home. Some of you, you're here this morning, and your soul is being tossed about because you keep anchoring to things of the world. I'm going to anchor my soul to my savings account, my 401k, and my money, and my wealth. Man, that's a, that's a wild ride. I'm anchoring my soul to another person. I'm going to marry someone. They're, they're going to they're meet all my needs. And you anchor your soul to that person, and then one day they, they're too tired to meet your needs, and they let you down. Parents, if you anchor your soul to your children, Right? They grow up to be adults. All the old people are like, yep, they do. They sure do. And they may or may not do it the way. If that's where your soul is anchored, and you're in for a bumpy ride. If you're anchoring your soul to your health, and you're 70 or 80 years, and it's just all going to go perfectly, and health, like, there's no guarantees. What's guaranteed is that eternal life is offered to us in God's rescue plan, the person and the work of Jesus Christ, who is now inside the Holy of Holies, and he's pleading you home. And so let me bring this full circle. Ready? Romans 8, 33. And so who shall bring any charge against God's chosen people? His elect. The answer is what? no one. Why? Because it is God who justifies. God made up the rules. God made up the salvation plan. He said the salvation plan is Jesus, and when you repent of sin and you believe in him, he is the anchor that holds inside the veil of the very character of God, and God's promises cannot and will not be broken. It is God who justifies. Verse 34, who is there to condemn? The answer is no one. If Jesus has paid for your sins, they're paid for period. And he's praying you home. Jesus Christ is the one who died, and even more than that, who was raised. And guess what? He's at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. And that's why Paul concludes Romans 8. He says, for I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Why is that? Because God made a promise, and he is true to his promises, and if he wasn't, it would violate his very character, and he has said, when you repent of your sin and you believe in Jesus, your anchor is inside the veil of God's holiness, and Jesus Christ, O Christian, is praying you home. Amen? Amen. I want to invite the worship team up, and I want to say this. And if you're here this morning, and your soul is being tossed about, and you're here this morning, and you are soul weary, 
Well, maybe you're a Christian and you've just lost sight of where your anchor lies. And I want to encourage you, do some heart surgery today, some mind surgery, and go, God, what am I anchoring to that I think is going to bring me life and it's not? Because until you anchor to Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life, your soul will wear out. And maybe you're here this morning and you don't yet know Jesus Christ. Listen, I know you're soul weary because I've been there. When I didn't know Christ, I was doing things my own way. Man, it is exhausting. It wasn't until the day I said, you know what? God is true to his word. He's given us his rescue plan. I'm going to repent. I'm going to believe. I'm going to receive Jesus into my life. And the moment I did that, my soul anchored inside the character of God. And I have had a sure hope from that day forward. Amen, Christians? We want you to know that this morning. So I want to give you an opportunity to receive Christ today. Anchor your soul in Christ. So let's do this. Bow our heads and close our eyes. Let's pray. In just a minute, we're going to go out singing. I want to give you an opportunity to anchor your soul to Christ. You can pray with me this morning. Say, Heavenly Father, you know what? Um, I've been trying to find hope and joy in life and all kinds of things that don't last. Behind me in my life is a trail of broken dreams and broken relationships, broken hopes. Just realized this morning I've been anchoring to the wrong things, and today I, you're my creator. You made me. You, you know how it best fits and works together. And I realized that I have not been worshiping your Son Jesus. And so, as best I understand today, I turn from doing it my way and my sin. And I believe that Jesus died for me, and He rose again, authenticating His claims of being the Son of God. And I receive Him into my life. I want to do things His way going forward. Anchor my soul to Christ. God, I pray for the weary Christian this morning. God, it's just so easy to, to get the, our soul and our mind's eyes on things of the world that we think matter. God, we were reminded this morning that Jesus is in your presence. He's praying for our protection from the world. He's praying for our protection from the evil one. He's praying that the word would shape us. He's praying for the mission and the reason you've, he's left us here on earth. He's praying that to conclusion, to the day that our faith becomes sight. And so, God, I, today, even as a Christian, we refocus our mind's eyes on Christ and what he's left us here to do. Jesus said, I'm not praying to take them out of the world. I'm praying that you'll protect them from the world. And so, God, protect us as we do the journey that you've laid in front of us. And we know it's not always going to be easy, but it is always with eternity in view, God. That there will come a day our faith becomes sight and we reap all the benefits of the risen Christ. And so give us endurance and perseverance and faith all the way to the end where our faith becomes sight. And we are so grateful, oh God, that your son Jesus is right now at the right hand of the Father praying for us. Praying for our children. Praying for our families. Praying for our lost loved ones to know you, God that we would persevere and have sustaining grace every step of the way. So encouraging. Thank you for praying us home. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Hey, listen, if you ever need prayer at Coastal, you just want someone to come alongside of you and go with you in the presence of God and pray, our prayer team is always available up under these screens.
And then if you need some privacy, there's a prayer team member in the chapel in the back. They would love to pray with you. At the end of the day, man, Jesus Christ, God the Father in the personal work of Jesus has done great things. Amen, church? And so, uh, listen, the last song uh, is not like, hey, this is it, it's over. It's really to send you out singing a reminder of the truth that we've learned about this week, right? We remember more of what we sing about. And so the last song is an opportunity, hey, remind our hearts and minds of the truth of the God who has done great things for us. Amen? So let's, amen? Amen. So let's get out some worship in Him and let's remind our hearts our God has indeed done great things. Let's go out and sing it.